Good morning, friends. I'll add my own greeting to that of Christine Hyde's this morning. Our scripture lesson is from the Hebrew Psalter, one of the most beloved psalms in the Psalter, Psalm 27. Listen for the word of God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me and devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though, though war rise up against me, yet will I be confident. For God will shelter me in the time of trouble. God will conceal me under the cover of a tent. God will set me high up on a rock. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Thanks for be to God for God's precious word. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So at the NFL draft on Thursday in Cleveland, it is almost a sure thing that the Jacksonville Jaguars will select Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence as the first pick in the first round of the draft. That's about as safe a bet as anything in pro football these days. Now, generally speaking, professional football is not a very courteous game, is it? It's violent and concussive. It looks like they're trying to kill each other. And yet, when you think about it, have you noticed how courteous the NFL draft always turns out to be? They take turns politely. And the loser always gets to go first. The worst team has the first shot at the best player. It's all very courteous and polite at the NFL draft. Now, when Katie and Christine and I sat down to plan out this sermon series called Shafts of Light about the people in the stained glass windows here in the Malat Chapel, we conducted our own facsimile of the NFL draft. We took turns selecting the heroes and saints that we wanted to study and to talk about with you. And like with the NFL here at Kenilworth Union, the loser gets to go first. In this case, the loser also happens to be the boss, so I get the first pick. And then Katie Lancaster got the second pick. She chose Corey Ten Boom, and then on and on it went. So for the first pick in my first round, I selected Alexander Zolzhenitsyn. Alexander Zolzhenitsyn has been a hero of mine for about 40, 40 years now, ever since I learned about him in a world lit course at Kelvin College in, I don't know, maybe 1978. Now in his youth, Alexander Zolzhenitsyn was a brilliant student. He was an intellectual. He studied math and physics at Rostov State University in Russia and was headed for a career in academia, teaching science either to high school or to, or to college students. But then in 1941, he was drafted into the Russian army at the height of the hostilities between the Red Army and the Nazis. And uh, Mr. Zolzhenitsyn became attached to an artillery reconnaissance regiment. And it was their responsibility to locate and destroy these huge hidden German guns. Maybe you've seen these giant microphones 
where they would try to triangulate the location of these hidden guns. That was Mr. Solzhenitsyn's responsibility during the war. He survived shelling after shelling, served with distinction, earned a whole chest full of impressive medals, and eventually attained the rank of captain in the Red Army during World War II. But then, near the end of the war, in a letter to his comrades, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn had the unmitigated gall to insult not just one, but both of the two most powerful, unforgiving Bolsheviks in the Soviet Union. He called Vladimir Lenin Old Baldy, and then he called Joseph Stalin the mustachioed one. He was not wrong about that. For his insolence, Mr. Solzhenitsyn was sentenced to eight years of hard labor in the Soviet prison camp system. Think about that, eight years for a mild insult. What would happen to Kate McKinnon or Stephen Colbert if they insisted on staging their relentless, scandalous shenanigans in the Soviet Union? Thank your ever-loving God that your Constitution has a First Amendment. Now, the Soviet prison system is known famously as the Gulag Archipelago. Gulag is a Russian acronym which refers to the main administration of the camp system, and the Gulag is an archipelago because from above, these thousands of individual camps sprawl across the entire length and breadth of the, of the Soviet Union like a necklace of oceanic islands. From above, on a map, the Soviet Gulag looks a lot like an archipelago of islands, like the Hawaiian Islands or the Galapagos or the Florida Keys. So for mildly insulting Lenin and Stalin and for insufficient loyalty to the Communist Party, Mr. Zolzhenitsyn was sentenced to eight years of laying bricks at a prison camp in Kazakhstan in stultifying heat and at 30 degrees below zero on a daily diet of a crust of bread and a cup of potato peel soup. So many of the inmates at these prison camps, along with Mr. Zolzhenitsyn, were loyal Russian soldiers who had fought valiantly against the Nazis. And so at the end of World War II, when Germany was collapsing and the Allies were liberating all of these German POW camps, many of the Russian soldiers uh, captured and imprisoned by the Germans fell under the custody of the American army and many of them were shipped back to the United States for safekeeping until they could get repatriated back to the Soviet Union after the whole mess in Europe was sorted out. And so they were held here in the United States in these temporary confinement facilities in Ellis Island, for instance, and at Fort Dix. And many of these Ro Russian soldiers would commit suicide rather than be repatriated back to the Soviet Union where they face these long sentences in Stalin's gulag. Hitler's camps were nothing compared to Stalin's, they said. See, it was a crime to be captured by the German army rather than to be killed by it. And they faced these long sentences and they just couldn't bear it. When he was released after eight years at hard labor at that prison camp in Kazakhstan, Mr. Zolzhenitsyn spent the next 20 years documenting his experiences and the experiences of literally millions of his comrades in the two most important books 
of the 20th century. I guess you could say that um, Hitler's Mein Kampf and Einstein's Papers on Relativity were two of the most important books of the 20th century, but Mr. Zolzhenitsyn's two books stand with those as the greatest documents of the 20th century. Maybe in high school you read One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich is about, well, One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, a.k.a. Alexander Zolzhenitsyn as a prisoner at that Kazakhstan Gulag camp. It's an almost perfect little book. It's so lean and efficient, 159 pages in my volume, just a perfect little novel. Now, this book had scant chance of ever seeing the light of day in the Soviet Union. It was too seditious, but Mr. Zolzhenitsyn sent his manuscript anyway to Alexander Vardovsky, the editor-in-chief of the enlightened liberal Russian journal Novi Mir. Now, Mr. Vardovsky didn't really want this manuscript. It was unsolicited but it was Mr. Vardovsky's habit to throw unsolicited manuscripts into his briefcase at the end of the day and to take them home with him and to deal with them there in the evening. And so he would take these unsolicited manuscripts home and he would have his dinner, pour himself a vodka maybe, and then he'd get into his pajamas and get into bed and start reading haphazardly, cursorily, these unsolicited, unwanted, in this case seditious, manuscripts. And after a few pages of reading Ivan Denisovich, Mr. Vardovsky realized that he was reading an epochal masterpiece. And so he got out of bed, put on his professional suit and his tie, and sat at his desk to pay proper honor to a towering accomplishment. Ten years later, in 1973, Mr. Zolzhenitsyn published The Gulag Archipelago. It's a very different book from Ivan Denisovich. It's not about one day in the life of one prisoner. It's about millions of days, literally millions of days in the lives of literally millions of prisoners. It's not lean and efficient. At 1,930 pages, it is 10 times the size of Denisovich. And it's not lean and efficient. It is sprawling, disjointed, and obese. But these two books, The Gulag Archipelago, Archipelago and Ivan Denisovich, together they uh, revealed for the first time the revolting monstrosity and ruthless inhumanity of the Soviet system. Fifty million people passed through Stalin's Gulag. Eleven million died there. Its grasping tentacles reached into every Soviet home. There was not a single family in the Soviet Union untouched by the Gulag. Until Alexander Zolzhenitsyn, many liberal, enlightened Americans championed Soviet communism. They saw it as a solution to the inequities and ills of Western capitalism. That was until the 1960s and 1970s when Alexander Zolzhenitsyn came along. After his books, it was literally impossible for any lover of freedom, democracy, and equality to take that ideological stance. And so this unassuming math major, this loyal artillery captain changed the entire trajectory of 20th century history. 
It would take 20 years before the Berlin Wall fell and before the Soviet Union collapsed, but it was Mr. Solzhenitsyn who got this crusade started. His life and work demonstrate the eternal truth of that old adage, the pen is mightier than the sword. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was born in 1918, about the same time as the Soviet Union was created, and yet Mr. Solzhenitsyn outlived the Soviet Union by 20 years. Well, what does that have to do with us here 50, 60, 70 years later in 2021 in this secure, flourishing democracy? What does that have to do with us? Well, I am glad that you asked. See, you see what he said here? These, maybe you can't read these words, but this is what's inscribed around his portrait here. It says, one word of truth shall outweigh the entire world, he said. Mr. Zolzhenitsyn was a body cam and a cell phone video before there were body cams and cell phones. He bore witness to the inhumanity of human beings against their fellow human beings. You're fixing to ride the lightning, son shouted a Windsor, Virginia police officer at a lieutenant in the United States Army who had done nothing wrong. And then he pepper sprayed him, beat him, and handcuffed him. You're fixing to ride the lightning, son. In other words, I could kill you in an instant. Now where does such brutal, violent language come from? What made a police officer in the United States of America think he could speak that way to an American citizen? It's this terrible imbalance of power between those in authority and those in the street. And it's our job to bear witness to these things. This is our country. This is up to us. 17-year-old Darnella Frazier trained her iPhone on Derek Chauvin for nine endless minutes. She refused to look away. Now, with her teenage mind, she would not have put it in these words, but she was acting out the adage, one word of truth shall outweigh the entire world. This is our country, and it's our task to bear witness to this implacable violence that's sometimes committed against law-abiding citizens. And so, my heart just swells with admiration when I think about Gil Bowen and the likes of you who chose these saints to be emblazoned in memory in our windows, who chose these very shafts of light, because these very shafts of light, Mary McLeod Bethune, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, more to come, these are the shafts of light by which our children literally learn these are the shafts of light that shape their character and build their virtue. Tell me whom you admire, and I will tell you who you are. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? Though an enemy encamp about me, my heart will not be afraid. Though war rise up to surround me, yet will I be confident in the Lord my God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.